This is a Geek Bro Podcast. What's up, besties? This is episode 64 in occasion of Childlike at Best with Mike Valdez, and I'm still the second part of that title. Just a couple of things before we get started. First off, your boy has been on some podcasts. Since the last episode release of Child Like It Best, I have been on three different podcasts. I was a guest on Life's a Bit with Larry Mullins, where I talked about comedy with him. That can be found anywhere where you listen to podcasts, or you can see the video of it on YouTube. I was also on a very fun podcast called You Really Shouldn't Have, where I talked about the worst gift I've ever been given. It was very fun. And I was also a guest on Please Don't Kick Me Out, which is Bianca Woolwick's podcast, who I had last week. So if you like me and all my silly shenanigans, you can go and listen to those podcasts wherever podcasts are found and sold. I also have some stand-up dates on Monday, March 29th. I'm going to be in Coral Gables at Jada Coles. I'm going to be featuring there. That's going to be such a fun show. If you're in the area, come hang out. And if you're in the Miami area, April 20th, 420, baby. We're going to be... (laughs) I don't know why I said it like that. (laughs) 420, baby. (laughs) He is the straight-edge guy talking about 420. Here we go. All right. On 420, I'm going to be showcasing at the Miami Improv for the Ship to Shore Showcase. It's going to be a super fun show. You can get tickets at MiamiImprov.com, and you can also get any information for all of my shows on my Instagram, at Mike Valdez. I am beyond excited for today's episode. Today's episode is Mandy Johnson. Mandy is a photographer and a comedy producer. She produces some of the best comedy shows in Los Angeles. She's produced the Super Serious Show, Hot Tub with Kurt Brownoller and Kristen Shaw. She's also produced Jeanette McCurdy's One Woman Show and so many other things along the way. She's currently promoting her book, The Super Serious Book, which is an oral history of the Los Angeles independent stand-up comedy scene, and it's an absolute necessity to have on your bookshelf if you're a comedy fan at all. This is a really great episode. We, of course, talk about childhood, but we also get to talking about how she started The Super Serious Show with her partner, Joel, and how the book came about as well as her new Audible series. It's such a fun listen, and I really think you guys are going to enjoy it. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the very talented Mandy Johnson. love what you do. I've been a huge fan of the Super Serious Show and Hot Tub Show and all that stuff since I started comedy six years ago. So, oh, um, so yeah, nice. I, I started back in L.A. and that was the show that all of my favorite people were at. So I, you know, in my head, I was like, man, I, I want to be good enough to be on the Super Serious Show. I want to <laughs> be on. So this is good. I want to get to know more about you. Uh, where <laughs> where did you grow up, Mandy? Uh, I was born in Chicago, and I grew up in Elkhart, Indiana, which is um, okay. just a few hours east of Chicago. It's closest to a city we all now know from Mayor Pete, which is South Bend. So it's part of a tri-city like configuration with South Bend. Okay. What kind of kid would you say that you were growing up? So like, well, who did you sit with at the lunch table? That kind of thing. <laughs> I guess I would have been like the weird loner kid. I didn't really have like a ton of friends growing up. Like when I was really little, I was friends with my next door neighbor who was a couple years older than me. Okay. But then she moved at some point 
I don't remember her in school specifically. Sure. But just more of like, you know, I don't know, hanging out around the house or whatnot. I just didn't have like a ton of friends. Like I always kind of felt like later in life that um, because I I mean, like where I grew up wasn't like a super big test, like 50,000 people. Yeah. So it's not a super small town. But um, the people you went to like elementary school with were the same people you went to high school with. It wasn't like a right. It got added like there were people that added to it, but like it was pretty much the same people, give or take. Sure. And so I always used to joke uh, later in life that there was like a trip where they all became friends and I like missed that day. <laughs> right. In school. Okay. Uh, I wasn't until I was, uh, I went to boarding school in high school and then in college that I really made friend friends. And I think it might've, you know, be a little bit of just not fitting into like a Midwest town. Sure. And also just, you know, might've been like, I was just like a little bit of a weirder, artsy kid right like I think if I grew up in like California or Los Angeles I would have been a very different child sure because you just have access to more things you know and so I think that that changes a lot you know like of who you become like what you have access to so of course you know so many people are always like oh I don't want my kid to grow up in a big city I'm like oh but you might yeah <laughs> they might enjoy that <laughs> right no you're 100 percent right when did you find your you said you found like your tribe of people around high school I would say like mostly college I have like two really close friends from boarding school still Uh and that was just like the last couple years of high school for me but college I went to a photo school in college and so that's kind of I met my partner there who I'm still with Mm -hmm. and lots of my close friends who I still have I all met there before you know I found my more people in comedy but yeah that's probably the first time I was like oh there are people like me (laughs) sure of course and that's always good to know because like when you're growing up I mean at least for me whenever I watch like these high school shows it makes sense that the drama is such high intensity because there's no other time in your life where it feels like everything in high school matters until you're out of those walls and then you realize that none of it matters (laughs) You know? Yeah, I spend I spend a lot of time trying to tell my nieces or my friends' kids sometimes when they're going through high school stuff, like that it's not gonna matter in like a year or two. Yeah, and I'm like, I know that that sounds crazy mm-hmm. because why wouldn't it matter in a year or two? But I was like, try to think back about like something that you was a really big deal for you in like seventh grade, and now you're in eleventh grade. Like, does that matter anymore? And they're always like, no. Exactly. Like, why would it? I'm like exactly (laughs) like this won't matter very soon and I was like I know that's not comforting for the moment yeah but I was like but time will pass and this can't last forever and right then there'll be new opportunities for new things you know yeah absolutely Um, I always felt like I went to a high school that was very much like depicted in movies and stuff where people are like no one's high school is like that I was like oh mine mine was please tell me tell me more tell me more Uh, Just, like, very, like, stereotypical, like, jocks, drama kids, goths, nerds, popular girls. You know, it was, like, just very, like, divided down, like, those typical social norms that Hollywood writes about. Yeah. And so many people I know are, like, no high school is like that. And I was, like, well, I don't know if it's like that now, but the high school I went to very much felt like this. Yeah, that's super funny. I went to, looking back at it now, very small Christian high school and I only graduated with like a hundred kids very small yeah I grew up in Miami so I think I only knew maybe three white people in my entire life 
that must be nice though at least you grew up with you know oh, i agree I, you weren't like the only minority i agree you know? like there is the other side of that yeah i definitely agree like looking back at it especially now i see it as a privilege because when it comes to like racism and things like that it's something that i look at and i'm like why is this even a thing it makes no sense to me you know, and it's yeah. like I didn't realize how much of a privilege it was to have that feeling and that thought in my head, you know, yeah, <laughs> to to yeah. think that that stuff is dumb, you know, um, because I grew up with well, everyone. If you grew up like, yeah, if you grew up like a specific way, you know, yeah, like anybody else, you know, or they grew up with only white kids at their school or something. They're like they have a different opinion on the world, too. Probably, exactly. So. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you that you're talking about, like how it was like separated and segregated because it was kind of like that too, you know, in my school, you know, the, the jocks always had the highest attention. So it was people that played football or baseball or basketball. They got the highest attention and then the popular girls, I guess. And then there were like the nerdy people that like talked to, that played Yu-Gi-Oh and magic, the gathering and stuff like that. And then there were people like me who didn't go to lunch at all and just played in the the practice space where the piano was in the choir room. And I just ate my lunch there. <laughs> so like that's that sounds peaceful. <laughs> it was very lonely at the time. But looking back at it and especially telling people about it now, it makes me feel cooler than I was because <laughs> everything because <laughs> everyone's like, man, that's so cool that you did that. And I'm like, it felt really lonely at the time, to be honest, <laughs> you know, but sure. yeah, sure. I mean, you're probably I, I get that, you know, like the choice to be alone versus have to deal with yeah. stuff and of itself feels lonely, even though it's the probably the simplest and like nicest choice for you. Yeah. You know, but does sound peaceful <laughs> yeah you're we're older now and so like to us i'd be like oh, i don't want to deal with all that social bullshit i'll yes. just like go fucking hang out by myself yes that's so you true know? so when you went home from school what were your fandoms what were your favorite television shows movies books anything like that music anything i'm gonna be such a disappointment I, this is the thing i was most nervous about why on this podcast was i don't have a lot of memories like i didn't watch a lot of tv growing up uh -huh. um we didn't really have like cable until I was like much, much older. I read a lot of books, but they were like, can't even really remember where they were. They were like, just like probably like stereotypical books. I read a series called Mandy. Okay. With the girl who spelled her name, I think with an I. Okay. Or an I. It, it wasn't with a Y. Okay. Um, I guess that's what I remember. I swam a lot. Okay. I did swimming. Yeah. And swim teams and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was very like active. Yeah. I ran cross country in like middle school and high school. Did you travel um, doing stuff like that? Like there were meets, but like nothing exciting. I mean, traveling around Indiana isn't, you know. Really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um, whenever I played, whenever I played sports, which like I wasn't good at them, but I got to a point in high school where I was like, I just want to do sports to say that I did them, you know, and and just sure. tried it, sure. you know. So, and I thought that some of the most fun that I ever had was whenever we would have those away meets and we would get in the bus, but it was mostly just because we would get in the school bus and roast each other. And that was my favorite part of the whole thing. So, nice. <laughs> so we're all just like calling each other names and like laughing at each other. And then we go and, you know, play some team and we lose and then we roast each other for losing or whatever, you know, I did cross country as well. I wasn't good at it. I was awful at it, <laughs> but like, 
it was. <laughs> I wasn't very good at it. Yeah. I was I was able to run long distances, but I wasn't fast. I wasn't even means. able to run long distances. I was I would run and I would stop and then I would run again. Oh, you were, and then you would walk. Yeah. And you would, yes. Of Those course. are the people that I would always like run past. Yeah. And then they would like run really quickly and pass me. And then they would stop. And so I would eventually pass them on a course. And I was always like, just keep running yeah i was never 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 good at that stuff as far as creative outlets what were your creative outlets at that time were you into photography at that time i didn't start to really get into photography maybe until high school like mm-hmm. my dad gave me his canon a1 like on a family trip when i was in sixth grade I think just to like amuse me and keep me busy. Um, We were in Montana and that's probably the first time I really, I think I had like, you know, little cameras and stuff growing up, like more of the equivalent of like point and shoot that I would traipse around with me. But I don't really remember being bonded to photography until like sixth grade when my dad showed me his A1. But then I didn't really get access to that camera until I was like in high school. And then when I did, which I still own the camera, it's in perfect shape. And so is every lens. That's amazing. But my father gave it to me and he said, this is the Canon A1 camera and it's worth more than your life. And then this is this lens and it's worth more than your life. And this is, there was like four lenses. Wow. And every lens was worth more than my life wow. and the entire camera and everything was worth more. And like, it was just very intimidating, <laughs> but I shot on that camera until I, so like maybe my second or third semester at college when I had to get a camera that could sync with a flash at like a higher shutter speed. Right. The Canon A1 was like is older than me. Mm-hmm. It's a great camera. I still have it. So at some point I had to like upgrade the the camera game. Yeah. But um I played volleyball and I played the bassoon. Nice. I don't know how to I played the, the piano growing up. Yeah. I can't read sheet music anymore to save my life. I never could. I always pretended. I mean, I did. I, <laughs> you know, I did competitions and stuff for bassoon and I played piano for five years. Mm-hmm. I still own my bassoon, even though I don't know how to play it anymore. When, it, when <laughs> um, I when I read sheet music, I can read it, but it's like I have dyslexia. So you have to give me some time. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah. I, like, don't, I know what I'm doing. I can, I can still count the notes like the speed, yeah. but I can't. I don't have any idea what <laughs> I think my brain was like, you don't need this information anymore. You're probably never going to play an instrument again. Right. So we're going to just take this space and put other stuff there. Sure. Of um, course. It just like deleted the files without consulting me first. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, um, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't really like, I love volleyball, but when I went to middle school, I couldn't do overhand serving. So I stopped playing volleyball I played basketball on and off, but I wasn't very good at it. So I think by eighth grade, I stopped playing basketball. Um, I did like track and field because as kind of as a cross country person, you ran long distance in track and field. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of those meets like in cross country and track and field and in swimming, you don't like you just your parents drive you to those meets. Really? Like they don't have buses. Man, that was at least where I grew up. And so, you know, like you don't really have any of, of that stuff either yeah Um, yeah i guess just overall i was probably just more of like uh like a loner kid sure who just like lived in her own little world i guess and i can't really quite tell you a lot about said world in a way again my brain i think 
deleted a lot of the information without my without consulting me yeah in a way it kind of makes sense though like because you were saying you were very good at cross country and track and field and swimming and those are all sports that you just need to be good yourself <laughs> yeah it doesn't like, rely on other people, other people. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah i would and i just for the record i wouldn't say i was good i could do them all sure but i wasn't maybe it was definitely not the best there were people who like ran five minute miles and I ran like a seven minute mile. Right. So like, but you, you know. cared more about how you did the last time as opposed to how Sarah did or whatever, you know, at least I would think. Yeah. 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 And I hated, uh, like I didn't mind, I liked the training, but I really did hate the, uh, competing. Like as an adult, you have a lot of friends who like want to run or run marathons or half marathons and stuff mm-hmm. and, or do triathlons. And I've had a lot of people be like, Oh, do you want to do this? race with me and I'm like no I'll train with you but I don't I don't want to do the race I don't want to do I don't like being even before COVID like being packed in like that at the beginning of like a cross-country race yeah is I would just always stand in the very back I was like it's fine you guys all go I'll just I'll do it later (laughs) like after you guys all take off I'll start it's too it's too uh stressful to like be in the middle of that pack and like not fall and hurt yourself and like or worry about being trampled oh yeah of course it's too much yeah yeah i know exactly how you feel especially being someone who knew that i was gonna be last anyway (laughs) yeah i was like i'm gonna be you guys are all gonna pass me so i'll just hang out back i'll just wait back here and have some bananas and just go yeah you know (laughs) uh just to go into our next bit what were your favorite snacks growing up i pretty much ate like cheese sandwiches for a vast majority of my meals growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, whole cheese sandwiches, melted cheese. Well, just like white bread, mayonnaise, cheese. Wow, like very simple. Holy cow! Uh, I'm a pescatarian now, but mm-hmm. I grew up in the Midwest, where you know my parents grew up on farms, and so there was a lot of meat in my house that I truly hated from a very young age. Right. Um, and my parents, I mean, rightfully so, were just. I wouldn't eat it. And it terrified them. I think like, they're like, no, this is like things that you need to make your body grow. Right. You know, and for you to be healthy, you need protein. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it was way before like tofu and like all the stuff that we have now, you know, it's the eighties. Yeah. Um, And so, but, and I didn't like peanut butter. And so I'd pretty much only eat like pizza and like cheese sandwiches and like macaroni and cheese. Holy cow. (laughs) That's great. Uh, real strong theme going through there, but that's pretty much all I ate growing up. I feel like, uh, I'm, I'm pasta and then whatever meat I like had to eat. Yeah. Um, we didn't have like a lot of like, uh, like snacks that like kids grew up on in like the nineties and stuff. Right. We didn't really have a lot of that stuff around in my house. You know, like we didn't have soda. My mom always only had diet soda. Right. We didn't really have like, we would have cookies sometimes, <laughs> but like, and maybe chips sometimes, but it wasn't like. I don't remember like coming home and getting snacks. Yeah. I guess. I love uh, that you said we didn't have soda, but my mom had diet soda, so it means you didn't have well, soda. Well, like we didn't have like sugar, <laughs> sugar soda. Yeah. Which I think like, is so funny. <laughs> we didn't have sugar cereal. Yeah. Like, we didn't, you know, it was a, you know, it was a pretty, um, you know, thrifty, but like health conscious in that kind of way household. Sure. When I went to like boarding school is the first time I drank soda soda a lot and like had sugar cereal and it was like 
very exciting for like a month and then i was like all of this stuff is too sweet really i was like it's just too much sugar for me well is it because without it is it because you is it because you binged on it too much or and you like got sick of it because i get that i don't i don't think so i think like i had it and then i was like okay this is i did it yeah too much for me because that's how i feel today that's how i felt about like have you ever had fruit gushers before I don't know if I've ever had them, but I do know what they are. But so, I've had like gummies and like yeah, they're basically gummies with fluid that probably kills you inside of it. And <laughs> I wasn't allowed to have those growing up. So I remember when I went to college, I just bought like a whole bunch of boxes of fruit gushers, and I was like, "Screw you, mom! I'm having all the fruit gushers." <laughs> And I got so sick of them. <laughs> like, I got so sick. And I was just like, I'm never having these again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, and, ah. and so I get that when it comes to, like, not being able to have something and then binging on it. And then being like, yeah, I got that out of my system. I don't need that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think it still just translates into me as an adult. Like, I don't eat a lot of, like sugar stuff Mm -hmm. as a whole you know maybe chocolate but that's probably like dark chocolate but that's probably about it you're better Um, than i am when it comes to that yeah well not only that you're in you're in los angeles right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean Los los angeles makes it so much easier to eat in a healthy way because your vegan restaurants are so good (laughs) like yeah, they're fine, I guess. I don't know. I don't <laughs> eat them fine. a lot. I'm, <laughs> great. I, I'm pescatarian, so yeah, like, I don't true. have to eat at the vegan restaurants. And, yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I can eat pretty much at any restaurant. And we, we do have great restaurants here, yeah. which are really, really good and have like really good, healthy choices yeah. a lot of times, you know. And, Agreed. But I mean, I just, I love a great dessert out, you know. But yeah. like, I think as a whole, like, um, it was maybe like a nice byproduct that was unintentional of my mom's like own personal eating habits mm-hmm. that I didn't end up with like, a you know, a, like I know like some people who are like love Oreos and I'm like, oh, I'll have like a Oreo. Yeah, that's another one of those foods that that I wasn't allowed to have until I grew up. And then when I did, <laughs> don't need them anymore. Yeah. I'm done. I know what they well, taste like. You got like. them all. Good. You got it all out of your system yeah. very quickly. So I mean, there's still foods and there's still snacks that I love, but th- the ones that everybody like raves about, I got those out of my system. <laughs> like b- back in college, my rebellion I- was very tame. <laughs> it was just. <laughs> <laughs> It was just, it was well, watching. Nice. It was tame and affordable. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just to go into our next bit, one of my favorite things to do on this podcast is to review a box of cereal with my guest because cereal is the snack that kind of encompasses childhood, I've come to notice. And I usually like to pick a cereal that has something to do with my guest in some way, shape, or form. It's like maybe your spirit cereal, if that makes any sense. Okay. Um, Okay. So I spoke with my sponsors over at General Mills. Now, by sponsor, I mean that I like them and I buy all of their products. And by spoke to, (laughs) I mean that I tweeted them repeatedly and they never got back to me. So (laughs) the cereal that I got for you is Little Yachty's Reese's Puffs cereal. (laughs) Wow, I don't think I've ever had that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's just Reese's Puffs with Little Yachty on the box. (laughs) I don't think I've ever had Reese's Puffs. Have you not? 
I didn't even know they existed. Holy cow. Well, this is <laughs> an absolute treat. Um, are you, did you ever, <laughs> did you never have uh, peanut butter cereal growing up? No. Well, yeah, you don't like, like peanut, peanut butter. butter growing up. You don't like peanut butter. Goodness gracious. I like it now. <laughs> oh, you like it I now? I like it a lot now. Okay, cool. Okay. I did not like it growing up. I was a very picky eater growing up. Okay. The reason why I chose this for you is because Reese's is a very beautiful thing where they get two very beautiful flavors and they mix them together and they make something new that's even more grand. And I feel like that's what you did with photography and with comedy and bringing basically bringing punk rock into comedy, if that makes any sense. Nice. So, yeah, so yeah, nice. like I, I think that that's why it's your spirit cereal because you got these two things that were great separately and brought them together, and it was a heavenly thing that you didn't know you wanted until you had it. You know, like <laughs> well, you know, I think chocolate and peanut butter are two great things together. I can't speak to Reese's Puffs, mm-hmm. but I'll take the very nice compliment that you just paid me and say thank you so much. Absolutely, and not very only that, kind. it also reminded me of you. Because there's little super serious shows pictures of ah, <laughs> little <a> Yachty. Little <laughs> of Yachty on the beside. Yeah. yeah. And right here, you're supposed That's to collect all four boxes, which I'm never doing. Um, but <laughs> oh, so you can make the giant Polaroid. <laughs> yeah, you can make the giant Polaroid of little Yachty eating. I do love it when cereals do that. Oh yeah, I agree. There was a there was a time when uh, when Lunchables, <laughs> so Lunchables partnered with like Nickelodeon and with uh, ABC, and you would get these three D glasses from buying like pizza Lunchables, and you would watch these episodes from TGIF shows, and they were the worst three D quality of stuff like ever. They did like it's a three D. <laughs> It's a 3D version of Home Improvement, like, you know, or like, like, (laughs) or like a 3D version of like Roseanne. Like, what do you need a 3D episode of Roseanne for? You know, like. You don't. (laughs) You don't. Nobody needs a 3D version of Roseanne. (laughs) Nobody. Yeah. I think that it would be fun to review this cereal, but it would also be more fun if we reviewed this cereal as Little Yachty. So what I think we're going to do is. We're just going to talk and more than likely I will <laughs> I will try to auto tune the voices <laughs> and, and, and put music behind it. And before you know it, <laughs> once we edit this and everything, I think it's going to sound great. It's going to sound like a little Yachty review. So let's try to do an ad together for little Yachty's Reese's Puffs. Um, okay. Uh... I don't. This is. See, I'm not a comedian. It's okay. It's not my it's, So here's the thing. We are a comedy podcast. So if it's bad, it'll be funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that Little Yachty's Reese's Puff cereal is best eaten just with your tongue and not a spoon. Yes. As demonstrated on the cover. Absolutely. Um, and it brings the two flavors that we all love together. Uh, a thing that kind of tastes like peanut butter that's not quite the same as peanut butter and something that kind of tastes like chocolate that's not quite the same as real chocolate. Yes. It's especially really good when you put it in a bowl and eat it like dog food, apparently. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And don't let anyone fool you. It's probably 
glue or something like glue, but not milk on the cover. Yes, that Don't is. Don't get weirded out if your milk isn't that thick. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Reese's Puff cereal, they said it couldn't be done. They were probably right, but we did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who buys that and feeds that to their child? Who's like, this is a good breakfast. <laughs> This is what will keep my child thinking and learning and with it all day and not crashing in school an hour and a half from now. Oh, man, I completely agree with you. I, you know, as somebody who who buys a cereal for every episode of this podcast, I I know a lot about cereal. And so I look at these boxes and, and I'm like, there is no way parents are buying this for their children. Somebody must. I think it's millennials. And Gen Z kids buying it on their own. <laughs> That's what I think it is. That's what That's I think it is. a fair point. This episode of Child Like It Best with Mike Valdez is brought to you by The Crunch Cup. Save time in the morning by taking your cereal on the go. Simply add cereal to the inner cup, milk into the outer cup, screw on the lid, and you're ready to crunch. Eat cereal in the car, at your desk, or anywhere else you want. Go to thecrunchcup.com to purchase what I think is a genius invention and use the discount code MikeValdez10. That's Mike, M-I-K-E, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S, the number 10, to save 10% off of your order. You can also sign up for their monthly giveaway to win a year's supply of cereal. So what are you waiting for? Go to thecrunchcup.com and use promo code MikeValdez10 to save 10% off of your order. The Crunch Cup. It's better than spooning. This episode of Child Like It Best with Mike Valdez is also brought to you by Real Good Foods. If you're a longtime Child Like It Best listener, you know about Real Good Foods. They have incredibly tasty, low-carb, keto-friendly meals like cauliflower crust pizza, stuffed chicken, breakfast sandwiches, and ice cream. But now Real Good Foods has a brand new product, low-carb, high-protein entree bowls. And look, I'm talking chicken lasagna, lemon chicken, Mongolian beef, creamy carbonara, cauliflower mash and braised beef. I mean, guys, this is absolutely incredible. And during this time of lockdown, it is really nice to just have something that you can throw in the microwave and know that you're actually getting good ingredients and it's actually tasty as well. So check out realgoodfoods.com and use the promo code BESTIE to save 15% off of your order. That's realgoodfoods.com. Use promo code BESTIE to save 15% off of your order at checkout. Real Good Foods. Keep it real. So I want to move on into what you're doing now. Um, you met Joel in, in college, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we met uh, at Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara. Yeah. How long into the process, like, did you guys start to bring comedy into it uh, and all these different kinds of things? Because what you do, obviously, is is something that is very unique, bringing photography into the comedy world and now having your super serious book as well. Um and all these different things. So I just kind of want to know where it all started. Um, well, Joel and I moved down to LA in 2004. So kind of right before UCB around the same time UCB, you know, opened up out here and going to comedy was just something that we enjoyed and was like a cheap, affordable thing to do. Oh yeah. Five bucks. Great comedy. Yeah. Yeah. We were still both in like our early, you know, to mid twenties figuring out in LA and then we've been producing live comedy now for a little over 10 years, maybe almost 11 years at this point. 
maybe we put an asterisk next to this past year. (laughs) (laughs) I do the same. (laughs) We still have a show. We still have a show. It's still live, technically. Yeah. It's just not in person. But uh, we kind of just kind of fell into it almost by accident. Like Joel's last boss that he had decided to go back to, he was a personal assistant and decided to go back to doing stand-up comedy and had a weekly show at the Laugh Factory. And very quickly, Joel got put in charge of booking it. It wasn't Joel's knowledge at the time that that was going to be a responsibility of his, but it kind of very quickly became one. And I just tagged along all the time because it was more fun that way. Mm -hmm. And Joel and I always wanted to find a way to work together. Like we always kind of knew that about ourselves as a couple that we thought that that would be more fun in life and we work really well together and enjoy that. And I know that's not for all couples out there in the world, but it works really well for us. Yeah. And so when he left that job, that was his last like day job he had. And so when he left that job, um, he was like, look, I want to keep producing comedy and I don't know how or where we'll do it, but I have the name and it was for the super serious show. Mm-hmm. And so from there, we kind of went about it like we would do about producing anything. I was a photo producer at the time. Um, I was a photo producer in LA for like eight years before kind of like leaving my day jobs. And so we went around town to bars and places that had stages and tried to pitch them doing a monthly show. And this was in 2010. And most places were like, we don't do comedy yeah like we went to a place that had like pot the musical on and they were like we don't do comedy and i was like okay but you'll do this pot the musical right and so then kind of on a lark we asked uh smashbox studios because i did a lot of stuff with them for photo and i was like i don't know would you guys ever be interested in this Mm -hmm. and the person who was in charge of events was looking for ways to get more events there and she d was her name she happened to love comedy and Dee and Rebecca and Donato like welcomed us into the space and kind of just let us have the run of it. They guaranteed us a studio, which meant they turned down thousands of dollars for us wow. to be there. They charged us pretty much a flat fee and then like gave us access to any in-house equipment they had for free. We just had to pay for chairs and then cleaning and then any OT that we had. Um, and as we did the show there for um, the first year and a half, and then eventually somebody was like, I'm so sorry, what are you paying? Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, uh, $500? And they were like, yeah, you need to, you need to leave. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but it was, it was really just like, um, I don't know, like all of our friends helping us. So it was, you know. We built homemade dimmers and, um, you know, we bought uh, the first curtain that we had, which is a black curtain that my mom made. And then we very quickly were like, no, this, they look like they're floating in a void. And so like the next show we had like a red curtain and, you know, string lights from the ceiling and way more of an environment that was super serious show after that. Um, but we just kind of winged it. Um, our friend Tim helped us rig every show at Smashbox for years and then at Fado Doe for a while. Um, our friend from college, Reagan, has been our DJ the whole time. Yeah. And he was our sound guy for the first handful of months until he was like, if you don't get a real sound guy, I'm going to quit mm-hmm. because I hate doing this. You know, we bought a mixer, we bought mics, we bought cabling. We went very far into debt. I would not recommend doing the show how we did it <laughs> to literally anybody. 
but we just didn't know any other way to do it. We just wanted to do it. And, you know, we, the best thing about live comedy is that there isn't like approval process, right? Like your approval process is, can you get a venue, put on a show, get comedians and get an audience. And if all of those things can happen, then you have a show. You don't have to submit it to like a board or like a studio or a conglomerate for them to be like, we approve that you're allowed to do a show. So it felt like a very easy low bar for entry. And it also felt like, you know, we kind of like looked at the shows we've been going to for like six years almost. And we were like, okay, what do we love and what do we hate? You know, and like, what do we want our show to be? And so when it was at Smashbox and Fado Doe, we would have free beer and wine. Had this very lovely human being appear in our lives who is still a friend of mine today. And her name is Rachel. And she used to work at a restaurant called Cube. And at some approached us and was like, can I bring wine here and serve it for free? And we're like, yes, wow. we absolutely. We're, we just have two bucks shot. Yeah. You absolutely can bring butter wine here and serve it for free. Yes. I absolutely have no idea how that benefited that restaurant. The <laughs> restaurant doesn't exist anymore, but it was lovely. And we got to meet Rachel through it, you know, and we would, we got our beer from a local brewery um, called Eagle Rock Brewery. Makes really great beer. And they would just give it to us at a, like a, a discount. Yeah. And we just like leaned on our friends a lot. Our friends helped film. Our friends took tickets, you know, our friends helped us run the whole show. And then it just kind of grew from there. We moved to Fado Doe because we had to, and we tried to move as close to Smashbox as we could to retain the audience. And that space was really fun because it was an old theater and we had that light bulb curtain because the, the, the stage was too giant to hang a real curtain, but it felt too empty with nothing. And so our friend who, who does interior design is very fancy interior design lady helped us design that curtain that we would like clip up with carabiners every week. Right. Yeah. I mean, we would just like in the early days, they would be like 14 hour days. We would go to the space and rig the whole show the day of and then take it all down that night. And it was just a ton of work. (laughs) Oh, I know. That's incredible. It was so much work. It was so much work. It's very dumb how much work it was. My sister would sell desserts. We would get a food truck. We would rag in with DJ for an hour beforehand. We just wanted it to be like a good time. We wanted the show to start on time. We wanted people to like come out, not have to worry about food or drinks, have some time to catch up with friends before the show and then have the show be done at 10 so that they could be home and in bed by like 1030 or 11 because mm-hmm. it was on a Thursday or a Wednesday and people have lives and jobs. So uh, the photos came about really because we needed to build the equivalent of like a comedian wall on the website. Um, oh, okay. to show because we are not comedians we do not perform and so we needed to be able to be like look who's we're good people look who's done the show yeah um and we needed to have some seo for like web searching so if somebody was like searching for a comedian that they liked if they were like reggie watts la mm-hmm. you know our website would come up and so they really just started as that and i had like a month before i had taken some photos of a friend of mine and had pulled out my old four by five that I kept from school because I knew if I sold it, I would never buy another one. Um, in my head, I was like, because why would I? Um, and it was, you know, it's it's a cool, my original four by five, which I still have is very cool and I really like it. But, um, and I had some like old Polaroid in it that was like a decade old or something. And when you shot it, it was bright blue. And so in post, I shifted it to warm and then over years, I just kind of built the Polaroids as they look now, like kind of based off the originals. 
Man, um, awesome. But I just shot them really as very nervous the first show to shoot them. And then it wasn't until, I don't know, four or five years into it that people, people started being like, are you going to ever do like a book with these? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it, cause it wasn't top priority. Like that wasn't the plan with them. It was really just stuff for the website. And then, you know, and we, we took live show photos and it was also kind of like you comedians all need better photos. Um, Agreed. In 2010, I was like, you guys don't have any photos of yourself. Well, no, and that's so better. that's another thing too is that by you doing that, you gave so many comedians great Instagram posts and like different <laughs> marketing to for other people to be like, "Yo, like who took this? This is great." You know, I mean, that's how I discovered you was through knowing comedians and being like, "Who in the world did this? This looks great. This style is incredible." <laughs> I love photography. I love art. And I especially love it because I can't do it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I know nothing about it, but it interests me so much because I know nothing about it, you know, and uh, yeah, and so sense. and so when I when I look into your stuff I'm, I, and you're telling me all this like. You know, it, it shot in cool, but I made it warm in post and all these things. It's so interesting to me. It's just cool to learn about how you created that style. Um, yeah. The rest of the Polaroids shoot normal now. Because, yeah. you know, uh, I didn't have 10-year-old expired Polaroid forever, right. um, which is better, you know. Um, but then I just kind of built, like, in post, I just kind of built layers in Photoshop that are what the look is of the show's Polaroids now. Yeah. And then just, you know, I don't know. It took a while to do the whole book process. It took me a really long time to find a book agent. A really great one. Her name is Monica. She has uh, her company's Triangle House. Mm -hmm. And then it took me a really long time to put the proposal together and to, to do it in a way that like, was like visual. It was like building like a deck, like, like you build a deck for like everything. And yeah entertainment pretty much you know like everybody wants a visual thing to flip through you know and so I had to do like sample interviews and like figure out how to do that and it was all very like new to me it was all very like a long time ago but yeah and then you know and then and then we pitched it out and, and eventually sold it but yeah it was a it was a whole process you know to like do it all and then and then it happened very quickly because I sold it in 2019 mm. and we wanted to time the release of the book with as close to the 10 year anniversary of the show as we could, because when we planned it, we would have a live show when the book came out and, you know, it would be like a nice, big, fun, you know, double whammy 10 years book, you know, but you know, pandemic. And, uh, I agree, but, but it's, it's, uh, out, it's, you know? It's something that has been said before. I heard Jeanette talk about this on her podcast. And I wouldn't say it's like you did it on purpose, but I would say that it's a happy accident. <laughs> you know? It is. I mean, there is positives to how it was released. And like, yeah. because we all miss live comedy so much, it's has like an extra special place to a degree because of that. I also like to think, though, that if it hadn't been a pandemic, it still would have been fun. <laughs> of course. Of course. Because you but, could have done uh, shows. But yeah, but, and, yeah, you could have done yes. shows to market it. And like, it, yeah, it's still. Yeah, and that still, would have been a blast. Of and, course. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, but I think that um, I'm happy that I got to touch that nerve with fans and comedians alike in this time. Yeah. You know, and that it, it, it kind of helped remind us all of what we love. Yeah, I mean, look, 
I'm sporting it right here. I have it. <laughs> I love this book. I love this book more than oh, anything. And so I much. tell I tell every comedian, if you if you like comedy at all, you should have this book. You know, because that's so kind of you. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're listening to me, but I do say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, it's still nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's just true. And not only that, like, I love nothing more than supporting the people that I truly love and admire their work, even if they might not know me. Once I become a fan of yours, it's like we're family, even if you don't realize it. Awesome. You know, so nice. But yeah, uh, and and of course, getting to talk to you now and getting to know you is so much <laughs> cooler because now we have an actual relationship, which is crazy, <laughs> which is crazy to me. You know, in a good way. So, super serious show start or er, started, and then now you're producing a bunch of other stuff like you did you're doing hot tub and i know that you did uh i was i was very interested because you, you helped produce Jeanette's show her one woman show what does uh producing that entail just out of curiosity i mean that was the first time we've been brought in to do like a one woman style like we went to edinburgh was super serious we're very for like familiar with the one woman one man one person style shows yeah um and we're huge, you know, we're, we've done lots of like random one-offs besides hot tub. Like we've done huge branded events. We've done a lot of stuff with like funny or die. Like a lot of times when like Rory Scoville's working out stuff locally before he tours it, we'll help him put up shows around town. We did like in a, a comedy show at a wine bar with Carl Hess called a moose boosh where like chefs would come and do like pop-up style in their, in their um, kitchen. It's and crazy. we would do a show out on the patio and just really like pack them in there yeah yeah squeeze them in squeeze them so close together <laughs> back when that wasn't terrifying yeah um but um just can't wait to like squeeze people close together again for i know shows. man so i know it's but, so um, much it's so much but better with Jeanette, yeah but with Jeanette, uh we have a mutual friend um zane who's a director and uh she introduced us and Jeanette was looking for a way to do this one woman show that she had already predominantly written before she met us but she hadn't ever performed it before and so then we um we kind of helped her flush it out and make some changes and stuff and then we just started putting it up at the lyric hyperion yeah which is a really great spot in la that seats about like 80 people max and like a really intimate semi-circle but feels great with 20 people to you know it's really a lovely place to workshop material like this and phil the the creative director there is a big like spent a lot of time doing Edinburgh shows and so he's a big fan and like is a very good support system in his theater for shows like this quite yeah. specifically like Natalie you know workshopped Nate there before you know she took it to Edinburgh and, yeah. she, and, and as well as like Laid and stuff so it's you know a really great spot for it and so we just started doing it there and it's probably the show that I'm was the hardest for us with the pandemic because we were like just a few weeks we were all going to go to new york and she was going to do like right. a two-week run in new york yeah. that we had to cancel obviously and it's probably the show like because we had been like she had been doing like long weekends with it at the lyric in february and like january and like making a lot of tweaks and it was like really getting to the place you know where we felt really good about it as a whole and so it's like it's a little bit of everything right like you hear her story and you hear like and she performed it for us you know and then you start to try to like be like, okay, let's talk about like music that goes with it or music cues or lighting cues or like, you know, whatever else. And then 
like maybe you want some kind of props and like how do you want to like display this and how and then you know you do a show and you're like okay well like x y and z didn't work you know and so let's find a way to reformat that or maybe she'll write a new song or like bring in a different part here or like so it's uh, it's with those kinds of shows it's a lot of like figuring out the best storytelling method for what she's trying to convey and a lot of times it'd be like oh the audience gets really choked up here at this piece of information but I don't really want them to feel that way until five minutes from now you know like this part gets too serious or and a lot of it was her like she'd never performed live before so a lot of it was getting her comfortable and she's very good at it and she's just you know I mean she's just a fantastic human overall right she's very good at performing live and so a lot of it was also her being okay and comfortable telling the story in front of an audience and making sure she didn't get choked up at parts that she didn't want to even though like she knows that she wrote it you know but it feels very different performing it in front of 80 people than just you know two people of course and and the subject matter is very vulnerable you know she's she's a very especially lately she's been a very vulnerable person and it's been so cool to see her growth as a human being and listening to her podcast and things like that it kind of makes you feel like you're not the only person deconstructing your emotions as well you know so it's uh so it's cool for sure she's she's very honest in that way and and very straightforward and it's very lovely and refreshing in the way that like she's not only just like honest with her emotions on a level with her podcast and with her show but just in general like you always kind of know what's going on you know and you can it makes conversations and collaborating with her very very easy and very rewarding i would assume natalie was the same way as well when you guys were working on nate yeah i mean i i did not work on nate with natalie we did that with phil burgers who oh, okay. is the creative director at the lyric and uh, natalie would have although natalie would have after her shows both with Lade and with nate she would leave it open for audience members to stick around and have thoughts and talk to her about the show afterwards that's incredible Um, i saw nate in like lots of different stages from the full show to bits and pieces as she workshopped it around town but i can't i mean she's a genius i wish yeah man i wish i got to see that from the ground up but i'm just a fan and a friend yeah yeah it is hearing you say that it it takes so much courage that so many people don't have to say after a show hey if you have any thoughts about what i did can you please tell me to my face (laughs) you know it's like most people don't want to know it was really i think with nate it was really important because you know the subject matter is something that and the ending and stuff was you know something that you want to get right and you want to make sure that you're conveying your thoughts and your purpose correctly to people you know and so of course um, I think that you know she did it really well and that you know I think it's really a cool thing to to say like hey if you have thoughts and stuff stick around and um I don't know how much that shaped the show as a whole but I think that it is a nice thing the first the first time that we saw Laid, her parents came in late to it Mm -hmm. and she just rolled with it and it wasn't until like later when we talked to her about it that I was like, oh, I thought that those were just people that were part of the show. That's like that. It was like an intentional thing, man. She she's but, um, so good at that, man. It was it's so good. crazy yeah. how so good she it. is at stuff like that, where like yeah. you you don't know if something's a part of it or if it's like 
because she's just so yeah man i i don't even know how to describe it how talented and how much of a genius she is but yeah i i'm a huge fan of all those people i'm I'm a huge fan of you and everyone you work with so but i mean i'm truly just always mesmerized and you know comedians are some of the greatest and most fun people to be around i mean they can also be terrors and stressful but (laughs) i think that as a whole i love them all very dearly yeah um it's a it's a yin and a yang yeah the the yeah it's been such a nice group to like spend a lot of my life with of course yeah i i completely agree with you on that i mean the main thing that i really miss more than anything when it comes to like doing shows and everything like i i love performing and everything but my favorite thing is just hanging out with comedians after you know and just like being in the green room and making each other laugh that's my favorite thing. It's like the bus yeah. ride in sports for you. Exactly. It's literally, it's quite literally the reason why I like doing comedy. I kind of started by accident. Like I, very similar to you, I kind of fell backwards into it. Where like I was told by an agent that I needed to do improv and I couldn't afford improv classes. So I did stand up because it was free. Yeah. And then I fell in love with it. But it was something that I didn't think I could ever do because stand-up was the thing that I idolized. And I thought that I could never do it. But it's also part of the reason why if anyone thinks I'm good at all, it's a high compliment to me. Because in my head, I don't think I'm as good as anyone that I admire. Because I hold it at such a high pedestal. You know, like comedy. Also, like anyone that you admire would have been doing it for longer than you. you Yeah. So I think that it always amuses me who who comedians don't want to follow you know like i always mm-hmm. would tease canane because he'd be like oh i don't want to follow someone so they're too good i'm like well they don't want to follow you yeah you know i was like stop it it's true you guys should be able to follow anybody but it, it will be so funny they're like i can't follow that person they're too funny and i'm like it's just it's a funny compliment you know yeah of course comedian. it um, is yeah you know and it's like i don't want to follow you you're too funny and it is funny when some of them people that you're like, oh, you like tear down houses yeah. that, you know, no comedian wants to follow you. It's like, well, very like we almost always will have Deb Giovanni close a show because there isn't a comedian that I know that wants to follow her. Yeah. Like she's just so fucking funny. And like, Deej everybody is, be like I don't want to follow Deb. Yeah. Deej <laughs> like, is absolutely on another level. I mean, she she like burns down the room. It's unreal yeah. how good she is. Yeah. But then Dem will be like, I don't want to follow Kanane. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, too, is like she, she's like, he's so fucking funny. <laughs> she she's the same way where she's very like she's such a sweetheart, man. I, I've done I did a few shows with her and and I got to talk to her and stuff like that. And she's she's exactly like that. Like she doesn't want to follow anyone. Because she's like, he's so much funnier or whatever. And and I would always tell her, like, you can literally close out any show I've ever seen. You know, like, you're like the funniest person yeah. ever, you know. And I, that's like the fun part of lineup shows is to be able to mix people of all different levels and ilks and stuff together. Yeah. You know, not only it gives everyone a chance to, like, see new people both the audience and comedians alike, but it also, you know, allows for, and like how we've always built our shows is more about flow of the comedy versus like fame or notoriety levels or whatever, you know, like, so it's always been a fun thing to like mix and match 
younger comedians with more established comedians and and having that in a show together is what I think rounds it out really nicely. Of course, yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk about the Audible series that you're producing. Oh. Yeah, can you tell me more about that? I think that that's such an sure. interesting storyline and I can't wait to listen. <laughs> um, it's a young adult comedy and it's called Haunt the Johnsons. It'll be out theoretically, I believe, this fall at some point. Okay. Uh, we have not been given an official release date for you. We're in the final throes of post on it. It is a long series. It's been a long time in the making, um, <laughs> but it's a, it's going to be 16 episodes, like half hour episodes, like 23 to 28 minutes a piece or whatever. And it's about a 16-year-old girl who becomes a medium and her parents think she's having a mental break. She's telling them that she can see ghosts. And so they decide to move her to upstate New York to a town that we made up called Dudestad. Um, <laughs> Dudestad. To kind of have a fresh start. Yeah. And they accidentally move her into a house with five ghosts. It's a little bit of Nancy Drew, a little bit of superpowers, like coming to terms with your powers and hiding it from your parents and... Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very silly. <laughs> that's that's incredible. Did you? Uh, it's, it's I mean, did were you the the head writer for it or who who? No, uh, Anna Greenfield, who is an extremely talented and prolific writer, yeah, Anna's and great. a dear friend of ours, is the um, is the head writer for it. That's amazing. Um, and me and Joel co-created it with a comedy duo named Alex and Jude. Okay. Uh, and then, but Anna Anna was definitely the the main writer behind all of it and she's a fantastic writer um and she really gave luna who's our lead a really great snarky smart alecky character and um filled with lots of fun comedian people i don't know if i can say who's on it i was gonna ask you if you could release, so i won't yeah that's totally I don't fine wanna, um, i get that but it's um yeah, I don't. I don't know what I'm like legally allowed. Yeah. I don't want to get into trouble. Of course. Oh, I know all cast. about NDAs, man. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want you to get sniped by Audible. You're all good. <laughs> You're all good. But it's got a really, it's got a really great cast. Um, a lot of voices that you'll know and love. Mm -hmm. Maybe you won't recognize right away. A lot of people from the comedy world, obviously, that we're close with, that we think are a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot of we're. Literally, like the last three episodes and of it in post right now, and we should be done within the next couple of weeks, which is very exciting. It's been quite a long process. Yeah, so. that is. But so we exciting. recorded it in the pandemic. We kind of got greenlit to go into production around April of last year, and we did all remote recording, except with some handful of talent who preferred to go into the studio. And then the studio did all these amazing things to make the space COVID safe, um, even where they could move and adjust the mic stands from like a remote control in the booth. That's amazing. So that, you know, um, they could have total uh, time alone. You know, they wouldn't have to interact with anybody if they didn't want to. And um, it was really impressive. Um, the studio is Mark Gross Studios, and they did a great job helping us record it and stuff. And, yeah, I'm excited for it to be out in the world and – it's kind of fun to do something that's like YA comedy. It's very funny, but it's also very youthful. Yeah. So yeah, it's very silly. Yeah, I honestly can't wait to listen to it. It sounds so <laughs> fun, and I love people that are the people that are involved in very it. So I, yeah, I don't see why I wouldn't <laughs> love it. I I love being a silly goose and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I have these last two questions, and I'm gonna let you go. 
you can answer these questions in any form that you'd like. There's no right or wrong answer. You can answer them vulnerably, comedically. I choose interpretive dance. Okay. That you would be the first, but I allow it. I'm not going to. But, I will but allow it. Since you said I can do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. You're the first person to say that. That's hilarious. <laughs> The first question that I'm going to ask you is what advice would you give to the child version of yourself now? I think just like, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. Like it really is. Like, I think it's the advice that I give to my nieces and to my friends, kids and my nephews. And it's going to be okay. Like it's everything always feels. And even as like an adult, like everything always feels like it's the end of the world, you know, like, but it's not eventually things will pass like time has to move forward whatever even covid can't last forever it like just literally can't you know and um that helped me through a lot in my teenage years was like i'm gonna be here at this boarding school for six more months and in six months i graduate and you can't stop that six months from happening you know so in six months i will leave this place or whatever you know so that's always refreshing. It's maybe it sounds depressing. Not at but all. It will pass. Time will pass and things will move forward. And and so it's going to be okay. And and then just like it's okay to be different and weird. It doesn't you don't have to be like everybody else. It might feel lonely, but you don't there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah. Like you're not wrong for not wanting to go to the parties or for not wanting to be a cheerleader or for not, I don't know, whatever you feel like everybody else is doing for not wanting to be part of that. It's fine. Yeah. You don't have to go to the winter formal, right. you know, it's, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's easier now. I think that I'm very happy that I didn't grow up with social media. I think that would have been mentally really hard for me. And so I think that as much as you can, adults have to do this too, but as much as you can, be aware of when you're using it to like purposefully hurt yourself, you know, and like comparing like everyone's online version is the most perfect version of who they are. Very seldom do people share the real truths and struggles in that, you know, in that form. Yeah. And so like, if you're comparing you at your lowest to somebody's most idealized, perfect version, you're always going to lose, you know? And so just don't do that. I mean, I do it and I'll just be like, oh, I'm spiraling and I'll just put my phone down and walk away and be like, stop looking at this other photographer and comparing your entire career and entire life to them. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I completely agree. And I can definitely take a page from that book of advice that you've written. Finally, the last question that I'm going to ask you, Mandy, is what do you think that that kid would think of who you are now? I mean, she probably think it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I don't know, but she probably also simultaneously would be like, whatever. <laughs> I was a very, like, kind of snarky kid, especially a teenager. But, yeah, like, I had a really – I grew up with um, born exchange student siblings mm-hmm. that my parents brought into the house because we couldn't, like, travel – we didn't have money to travel. Like, we weren't rich, so we couldn't travel abroad. And one of them was my Danish sister, Barrett, who is – which is how I have Danish nieces. Mm-hmm. She was always very cool in my memory mm-hmm. uh, she still is very cool she's a very cool <laughs> adult woman um who i still admire and look up to um <laughs> but i think that i would probably think of me as i thought of her like 
You're very cool. Like, just be like, I don't know how to articulate or put into words or, you know, have an opinion, but you seem cool. Yeah. I love <laughs> that. You know, and that's kind of how I was with beer. It was, I was like, you seem very cool. You taught me how to paint my nails and put on makeup. Yeah. That's really, really awesome. Mandy, that is it. We've Thanks we've, so much for having me. Honestly, thanks so much for reaching out. It's very, very kind. Yeah. Are you are you Thank kidding? You so Thank you for doing this. This is an honor to talk to you and oh, to get to know you. And my pleasure. Yeah, this is great. Uh, where can people find you online? My website's mandyjohnson.com. It's spelled with two E's. So it's M-A-N-D-E-E Johnson. And then my handle on all social platforms and any platform that I might ever be on is Mandy Photo. So it's M-A-N-D-E-E and P-H-O-T-O. And for me, you can follow me on Instagram at Mike Valdez. You can follow me on Twitter at I am Mike Valdez. And you can go to whoismikevaldez.com to find out the answer to that question. And that is it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe. Tell all of your friends so we can grow this family. Rate and review. Give us five stars. Say something nice. Have a great week. Bye, besties. That was a Geek Bro podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit geekbro.net.